Hi there, this is Dawn Dancing Otter, and welcome to the Witch's Diagnostic Podcast. This recording is taking place on Lekwungen traditional territory. These are the traditional homelands of what are known now as the Esquimalt and Songhees First Nations. This is unceded and stolen land, and I am a settler. And my hope is that I continue to learn, to grow, and to do my best to walk in a good way on these lands. Jen Wheaton. Dawn Dancing Otter. Thank you for joining me today on the Witches Diagnostic podcast. I want to introduce you as a person who I got to know in the world of yoga. We taught yoga together and we also got on like a house on fire and mm. and became very fast <laughs> friends and we've remained really very loyal friends to each other and that kind of connection bond and loyalty i really value it and it's it's quite rare i also know that there are many times in my life that i have leaned on you because you have incredible resource and i've been so grateful for that um, opportunity that you have stepped into in my life and um, thank you for agreeing to have this conversation with me on my podcast my very first one thank you for inviting me I love sharing space and time and <laughs> and events like this with you and yeah I, I cherish our friendship it's it's really a wonderful beautiful thing so thank you for all of that I'm, mm. I'm humbled. I'm almost speechless. So <laughs> not a good place to be at when we're doing a, a podcast to be speechless. But <laughs> we'll fight against that great resistance that is speechlessness and find it somehow. One of the things that we were talking about was spiritual gluttony. And some of the things that I thought were really important points were about how people resource spirituality um, at this time and this this time of living. And uh, maybe not as opposed to how it used to happen or how it should happen, but how it is happening. And the other piece I wanted to really maybe trickle into is something you're really knowledgeable about is, is um, self-defense. And in some ways, I kind of feel like those topics could be related and or we could find relationship between them. What are your thoughts about um, any of that? Yeah, it's there's two different um, layers to this that um, one of them is in the experience of the seeker um, in the experience of the person who is seeking spiritual knowledge from, from a teacher um, and how in so many ways there are many who, who can get lost in, in that world of seeking and be very easily manipulated. So being able to have a sense of the real essence of what self-defense is, is, is a valuable tool. It's a valuable instrument to have. And then also in the realm of, of the teacher, um, in the realm of the person who is, is sharing teachings, because the reality is many people will come to us with 
the most broken parts of themselves. And some of those edges are incredibly sharp. Um, the, even though that which is wielding those sharp edges is pain and hurt and, and suffering for which we have great compassion and great love, um, the, the edges are still sharp and they still need to be recognized as such. So the, really the essence of, of true real self-defense is to acknowledge one's vulnerabilities and at the same time to acknowledge that those vulnerabilities are not a reason to quit <laughs> and they're, they're not a reason to lay all of our burdens before another <laughs> and, and, you know, at the altar kind of thing, it's the altar is here with us. And I mean, in my own personal experience, having trained in, in the martial arts, I mean, I, I went in guns blazing. I grew up with two brothers that were very, uh, they were pretty rough with me. <laughs> um, what drew me to the martial arts, obviously there's, there's definitely that, that mystical realm. And one of my brothers was, was practicing and, he invited me to join in and, and try some of the techniques in a class and whatnot. And, uh, but there was definitely that little bit of a vendetta, you know, um, I, I've been hurt. I want to have some of the, the skills to be able to, to defend myself, even though that initial threat that I had had in my life wasn't really there anymore. Um, you know, that that origin threat, that feeling of being unsafe, um, as a full grown adult, there was still this sense of fragility and vulnerability that was, that was still there. And, and it's not, it's not that I went looking for the peace. I was looking, I was looking for a way to rage <laughs> and martial arts seems to have been a good way to do that. And yet through once I started to understand and learn my, my strength and not just in the strength of my muscles and my bones and my fire, but also the strength of my capacity to recognize threat before it even begins to engage with me. Um, and I don't have to rage against that threat. Um, it's more of a subtle redirection of my own personal energy that made it possible for me to not just avoid threatening situations, but also how to dissolve and sometimes transform them into something different. Uh, and one mm -hmm. of, I, it's odd, interesting because in, in the martial arts studio where my, my brother is, uh, is one of their higher ranking instructors and teachers and mentors, they just posted something that we learned so, so long ago. And that was how to effectively decline a hug Mm. <laughs> and uh awesome i mean <laughs> honestly like i could i could use that skill set uh sometimes uh where right? people are coming coming at you arms open as though it's already a foregone conclusion that the hug's happening and uh yeah so how do you how do you decline a hug without you know pulling the like 
you know, pulling away or mm-hmm. dropping away from, or do you do that? Well, how do you decline a hug that way? It's interesting. I, I've, I've taught it in the, in the schools actually. And, and we go right down to the essence of what's going on here. And, and I mean, one of the ways that I teach this is, is I let the people feel as uncomfortable as you would feel in that moment. So I talk about what's really going on in a hug while it's happening, particularly the ones that last longer than you want them to and, and why. And the way that I describe it to them is, you know, okay, so the hug's coming in, you know, it's coming. What's one of the first things that you'll do is like, you don't even look at the person. So eye contact is one of the things that, that gets destroyed almost immediately. Then we refer to the, the movements as the shoulder first. So you actually like kind of turn sideways and, mm. and give them your shoulder. <laughs> and, and these are almost reflexive body reactions to having close intimate contact with somebody that you're not prepared to, nor do you want to have close intimate contact with them just on a physical level, just on a physical right. level. Um, the other one is the bum pull where you like, you're kind of like chin chest for, but your butt is pulled way back. And <laughs> there's, there's that one. And then there's the, the tap, like the tap on them during the hug. So in the martial arts, Anytime that somebody's tapping on another person, that's called tapping out. And that means I am not interested in being in this situation anymore. <laughs> so, wow. Um, that, and it is a very reflexive thing that we have. And it's amazing how quickly everybody in a martial arts realm responds to the tap, no matter how subtle it is. But what's happening in those hug situations is oftentimes the person who's doing the hugging is not responding which means we've (laughs) we've just been stripped of our humanity in some way whoa I never even thought about that Jen but I I tap out you tap out Uh, and I don't like tap out with everyone or all the time or even soon Mm -hmm. and certainly with COVID like how many opportunities you get to even hug people these days but Mm -hmm. um I certainly have tapped out. And I think about that, like I'm tapping away. And I don't even know that I'm tapping because I'm tapping out that the other person isn't picking up on that being a a cue to disengage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting that that's even like on a, on a, a, like a somatic level, what I'm doing. Absolutely. It, It is. That is what, that is what your body is doing. And the, the tapping is, it's a very primal shift in biorhythms. There's a beat to it. There's a rhythm to it that is very different from the actions that are, are, that are at hand. So, so there's that piece. And then there's the, okay, the, the digging the shoulder in. That is one not wanting to have, in, particularly in the case of women, one of the more vulnerable, intimate regions of our body. So it's our breasts. But even, even for men, the chest area is, it's an intimate space. And we're not interested in having that in contact with somebody else right now. So that's mm-hmm. the shoulder turn. And the bum pull back is very self-explanatory. It's like, I do not want my soft, gushy, gushy juicy bits around your soft, gushy, ju- juicy bits. So not interested <laughs> in that. So like the hug is kind of superficial, like you're leaning forward, but not like really letting yourself be in, in the hug. Yes. You're not really letting yourself be held in the hug. Um, Mm. And I mean, I, I observe body language, but not just for these purposes. I, I work with bodies at a very um, high speed 
um, high risk level because I work with professional athletes. So I have to pick up on the most subtle cues in their bodies to help them to make the slightest adjustments towards what their goals are rather than constantly repeating patterns that are either getting them injured or, or moving them further and further away from their goals. So, so I, when I observe this, um, I, I observe it from a very neutral place, but know exactly what it is at the time that it's happening. And, you know, I, I feel very blessed to be able to see these things so that I can describe it without getting really emotionally charged by it because that can mm. happen. And I, in no means want to be dismissive of this, but remember that I teach this to teenagers and their lives are so full of drama and me expressing from a place of drama makes me untrustworthy. So it's really important that I deliver from that place of this is what's happening. Now mm. let's, let's break it apart and, and give you permission not to engage in that hug. If that's what you want. If that's what you want, if it's taking something from you, if some part of you is, is being suppressed or um, manipulated in some way in that moment, then let, let's give you another option. So, and it's, I mean, the first thing is quite honestly making eye contact because when it comes to the hug thing, what a person is seeking is connection. Mm. And sometimes physical contact is their only means for making that connection. So oftentimes we can actually be in a very proactive state by making eye contact and having a conversation with that person. But when we mm. go into avoidance mode, like let's say the person's coming in and we're avoiding eye contact is like, Oh God, here they come. Here they come. I see them. Oh my God, they're coming. Yeah, I'm trying to like, and they'll seek you out. And it's because what's being sought is connection. And if you've had a, whether it's a hug scenario or some kind of physical connection with them before, the habitual patterns are there. But if the things that we're doing is diminishing connection, they'll double down. Mm. They double down. Mm. And we'll seek it out even stronger, longer, more forcefully. So, so that eye contact and even verbal connection can be really helpful. Um, and it can be quite disarming, especially if the hug has now moved into the stage of being weaponized <laughs> in some way. And um, because that they are sometimes, I mean, that's like almost everything in your kitchen can be weaponized. <laughs> so, so this mm. is not... This is not about saying that all hugs are weaponized because they're not. That's so not true. They're, they're instruments for connection. And, mm. But it, an instrument is only an instrument when there's feedback in both directions. Yeah, right? Wow. Thank you, Jen, for that. Because I, I'm thinking about this really differently. I certainly have had, like, not good hugs. Mm -hmm. I've had great ones and just not good ones also. And, um, or like, have you ever like received a hug where a person's, you know, bits are coming at you before even anything else? It's like, it's, it's <laughs> very, like a very forward experience yeah. of a hug. Um, I've had a couple of oogie situations like that. And also the, the bum scoot, I've had to bum scoot some mm -hmm. of those. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so beyond the hug, I, I was thinking about 
one of the things I was thinking about a lot when I consider our connection and how we know each mm-hmm. other is, is that we lo- we've learned each other through physical practice. You and I have uh, committed to doing this really long yoga practice mm-hmm. um, that was an insane practice. It was a two and a half hour, 4 a.m. practice that we committed to. And I think we committed to that practice for 40 days and then we, we altered it slightly. Mm-hmm. We're still doing it at 4 a.m. for 90 days. And then I continued past that. Did you continue I past that? 220? I continued for about 150 days. Um, yeah. And it, which was, you know, f- fabulous in so many ways. But yeah, I, and I think you went uh, 300. 330 yeah. days. Yeah, I went 330 days and I had to stop because I wrecked my knee. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like our connection is really on that level of like we know movement-based practices really well because that's the vernacular of I believe our spiritual contribution like that is how we've learned to contribute Mm -hmm. is through physical practice um I had a conversation with um my my karate sensei when I used to I I studied for a, a couple of years when I lived in Canmore and he was a really tough dude I really appreciated and loved him but like pulled no punches that man was like straight up um and I was practicing for a belt test and uh he kept kind of telling me to do he he would say again he'd take me through the kumite again 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 and I know that's how you learn anything through practice and I thought he must be seeing something I'm not bringing (laughs) here So I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm not bringing something that you're asking me to bring. And I don't know what that is. So tell me. And he said, Don, you're never going to be good at this. Mm. And I was like, come again. And he said, here's the thing. You're physically not challenging your partner and you're unwilling to. So you're actually stealing from Mm. them. Because the thing that you could bring is your intensity and let the other person respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so he was telling me was that I was trying too hard to not be harmful. Mm. And it was, it sat in such a weird place inside of me because of course I am very, like I have a lot of concern around harm and causing harm. And of course, you know, I've joined professional um, bodies where I've had to commit to an oath to do mm-hmm. no harm, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, wow, where is that harm piece in there? And, and, but I get what he was now. I get what it, in some ways he was trying to direct me towards taking responsibility differently mm-hmm. um, in that scenario. And he then said to me, it's self-defense as though, I didn't understand the difference. And I get what he's saying now. When I look at it, it's like I, I wasn't seeing that as self-defense so much as I was seeing it as offense. And I wondered about your thoughts um, because what I've noticed about you is that you have no confusion around that. You're like, I remember taking a kickboxing class with you and you were like, hit the thing that wants you to hit it. Like it, it wants, it's designed for you to hit it. And <laughs> or or something yeah. like that yeah. right like this is designed 
put that aggression somewhere that it is that the space is calling for it. And I, it started to awaken and configure me on a lot of levels because I believe that I hold back Mm -hmm. so much um, in, in the concern that the power that I wield is going to cause harm. Well, and yeah, this is incredibly juicy, Dawn, this thing, this thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, what I can, where those words came from that hit the thing that is designed to be hit specifically by you right now is through my, my practice in the martial arts and um, that awakening of the knowledge of my capacity to do harm, real knowledge, not in theory, in practice, in experience, my knowledge of my capacity to do harm is the very thing that prevents me from doing harm. Mm. So I very, very rarely inadvertently do harm. I am so aware of the capacity of even my pinky finger to left, not, not unchecked, but left in a state of unawares, its capacity to, to do harm. I am aware of the capacity of my words to do harm. And it was through truly exploring the immense power in a very seriously directed physical form. Um, That's what taught me that. And fortunately I came from a a studio and a lineage that did teach healing practices as well as the martial arts, as well as the, the self-defense and the striking techniques and, um, and all the eye gouges <laughs> and mm. groin shots and like all, you know, and I, I mean, I giggle when I say those things because they sound so horrible yet knowing how delicate these regions of the body are, is what has taught me to respect them so much and respect myself Mm -hmm. in those spaces and places. And yeah, I mean, I, 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 that all comes down to understanding that knowing one's capacity to be weaponized. And when we engage Mm. and, and walk that line on purpose, intentionally, just like we did, did in those two and a half hour sessions and whatnot, we engaged our bodies and our minds and our breath and our, just all of our faculties intentionally so that when something is happening out in the world and we start to feel some of those same sensations, we know that we can deviate into harm. Even Mm. though harm is about 85,000 steps away from this point of recognition. Mm. Yeah. You start, you see it out in the aura of it as opposed to like inside of it. But then when you're meeting with the same, like that is such a poignant, I want to just rewind for a second. I'm saying a bunch mm-hmm. of words and I, I'm going to just pull them back into my mouth for a sec and say, so what I'm receiving from what you just said is that knowing the practice piece is about setting up an intentional experience by which you would understand how to respond 
and to recognize elements as they present themselves. That's right. And for, in, first and foremost, it's, it's with ourselves. So we, we recognize what makes us capable of truly recognizing it in another is our capacity to recognize it in ourselves. And two of the mm. most dangerous statements that I, I feel exist in the realm of learning self-defense or, or whatnot are, I would just, you have absolutely no idea what you would just do unless you're willing to dance in that arena a little bit within a controlled environment. And I would never, you have no idea what you would never mm. do unless you're willing to, mm. again, dance in that arena just a little bit. So what the practices do, and it's not just in the martial arts, it's in so many realms um, that this happens to be where, where I develop these skills and this awareness, but um, that those, those two statements pop up a lot and they're typically our first cue to us being blindsided. Mm. And they are that those, I would never, and I would just statements in the realm, you know, in that realm of spiritual gluttony, for instance, is, um, mm. I would never let a teacher manipulate me in that way, or I would never join a cult or I would never, um, uh, and it's mm. that you literally just put your blinders on. You literally mm -hmm. just put your blinders on. Yeah, because in some ways, I think people believe that they should know when they are being mm -hmm. manipulated. And, and that people who are really excellent at manipulating do it really seamlessly. They do it without being That's detected. Right. So the fact that one, one would not know they were being manipulated, like in a cult or by a teacher or that kind of experience, the fact that you wouldn't know it is not your failure to recognize it, but rather the fact that, uh, that that person's manipulative skills are really good and that perhaps you're unpracticed mm -hmm. in, this, in the space of inviting possibility which takes me back to this like kumite circumstance, you know, uh, kumite for those who don't know is, a, is, is fighting. Like that's the word for a fight mm -hmm. practice in, in, in karate. And so, and like really well-contained, this was not like a brawl, you know, this was like really practice movements that we were, you know, moving into, uh, you don't imagine that somebody won't bring it like you you actually invite it you know i want you to bring mm -hmm. your thing i want you to bring the hostility i want you to bring the aggression i want you to bring it because i need to test my ability to yes. respond to it i need to actually find the strength inside of myself to make a response to that that protects me yes yes that's exactly correct and it and protects you from the consequence of yes, hurting me. 100%. <laughs> yeah. There's, that's the agreement that's made when entering, you know, a, do a dojo or a place of practice in that realm. And um, if we don't, like you say, if we don't bring it, if we don't bring those things, the, the person who is training with you under those circumstances, they'll never know how they might know how they would respond to a round punch or like a hook punch or a front kick. They might know how to respond technically to those technical skills, but they don't know how they would respond to anger, 
hostility, possible hatred. Uh, um, those are the things that tend to weaken people's knees and, and mm. shorten their breath. And those are the things that affect our depth perception. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Affect your depth yeah. perception. Because that's really what it is. It's not that you aren't seeing something, but like how, how far yes. does it go? How big mm -hmm. is it? I mean, your ability to perceive or feel that or sense it has to be practiced. Like you have to, so, so um, with Sensei, his, his statement to me that you're never going to be good at this, what he was really telling me was you holding back from that is not allowing another person to find it inside of themselves and respond to it. You're actually keeping people from holding a responsibility towards themselves and mm -hmm. other people. And, and I was like, so now I get mm. that, that in our practice with each other and in spiritual practice, we have to be able to move into spaces that might be considered controversial or unexplored in a way that is consensual um, because it, it disrupts yeah. the usual. Witches Diagnostic Podcast will return in just a moment. Did you know that you can support this work as a community member through patreon.com, the witch's diagnostic for as little as $5 a month. Your contribution will help to make sure that we continue to produce these weekly podcasts with great community leaders, healers, and bards, poets, and artists. Thanks for joining us today. It disrupts the, the, the sort of, sparkly blinding light of yeah. love and light it actually disrupts it in a way that's like okay is your love and light present when somebody wants to kill you <laughs> is your love and light like what is present for you yeah. there and and so if we never get to test each other and there has to be this is why i believe consent is such an important aspect of practice um and, and why spiritual practice is practice, that we move into deep consent with what it is that we're taking on, that we're developing and building the muscles to respond to parts of, to other aspects of life that might not seem as consensual or as expected or as yeah. staged. So we step into like spiritual communion with a teacher or or a facilitator, and there, some of those things are being awakened. We're starting to project onto them like our parental yeah. stuff, you know, and the unmet parental needs. Like I know when I started working with Manfred, I was projecting all kinds of unmet parental Absolutely. needs onto him, and he was yep. just not having it. He, he was just not having it. And in the moment, I would feel wounded mm -hmm. by that. But I understand that his boundaries really kept me from creating a version of him Absolutely. that didn't exist. You know, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because even for myself, I had a, oh, I mean, I, I, was, I was a committed athlete. I, I don't really know how good of an athlete I was, but I was a very committed athlete. And, um, and my coaches became like father figures for me. And I think that happens more often than not in many cases. And, and it was because these 
mentors and these teachers were seeing a side of me that first of all, is not muddied by the fact that they have ever changed my diapers. <laughs> so they, I'm, I've, I've right. never been their, their baby and they have never been responsible for feeding and clothing and putting a roof over my head or any of those things. They, they basically pay attention to the thing that I like best about myself. So, and I, mm. I projected this sense of, of parental responsibility onto them as well. And, you know, even with all of the scumbag coaches that are out there and it's, you know, there are, there are smaller percentage than the good ones. Um, I had some damn good ones. And, um, and I think of one in particular, you know, like Jimmy Graham who's passed away and I, you know, was at a pretty vulnerable time and this is not taking anything away from my own dad, but this coach had a way of knowing and understanding my capabilities as an athlete and, and highlighted that, but never once stepped over the line in terms of familiarity with me or um, inappropriate behavior, not, not never with me. And, um, and I appreciate that so, so much. And I'm so grateful that I have, as even though I have had a couple of real doozies out there, um, I'm so glad that I have the examples uh, to lean into who, who did it right, who, held that sense of responsibility for the people, athletes, women we were becoming, you know, I, it's a, uh, cause you know, a lot of people hold into, into question the, why, why would a man want to coach a women's team at anything? <laughs> you know, those questions do come up and, um, and now because of, coaches like that and I've had some other good ones as well but because of coaches like that I became a coach I became the woman coach for for women for female athletes well and a lot of men mm -hmm. as well because you 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 coach for the Okanagan Hockey Association um and there that's primarily men yeah there are yeah. female teams for sure um and and that's mm -hmm. that's changing more and more but yes the vast majority of the athletes that I work with are male yeah. Mm. So interesting that juxtaposition and um I f I find that um powerful in terms of the way that I relate to who you've become in your skill set in mm. the world. People often would think I I have taught ballet classes to uh uh, male athletes hmm. over the years. Uh, I had specific classes that were ballet classes from, you know, professional male athletes. So I'd have men who were, you know, professional soccer players coming in or professional um, hockey players coming in to take ballet mm -hmm. classes with me. And, you know, that feeling of like, well, this is an interesting uh, juxtaposition of energies. Um, but and yet how creatively that uh, opens the field. And my feeling is that the creatively open field, and this is what will tie it back into self-defense, mm -hmm. I feel, is that um, it's an incredibly, there is, so there is potential for um, injury. Oh, absolutely. When you, when you open a creative field, it, it doesn't mean there's a potential necessarily for harm. Harm is an intentional thing. But there's a potential for injury, and um, that piece is really. I feel that we do the best service to the people that 
we, you know, teach or facilitate um, in the world by teaching them to step into the fire that would protect Mm -hmm. them, um, even with us, to step into the fire that would protect them, but then to help them to discern so that they can recognize harmful from injurious, which are, they aren't the same things. So uh, uh, for me, those, the, that spiritual gluttony conversation we had yesterday, Mm -hmm. a couple days ago, that, that is the last episode we were talking about. um, That spiritual gluttony is like this, this weird idea. Some of some pieces of it are this weird idea somehow that your teacher or your facilitator or whatever you, you want to call them, your healer, that those, that person can't cause mm. you injury mm-hmm. and that they shouldn't cause mm. you injury. And I'm like, well, medicine, medicine sometimes be bitter. Medicine is sometimes hard yeah. to swallow. Medicine sometimes stings. Medicine sometimes, uh, you know, when I think about ayahuasca in the jungle, it makes you puke before it gives you the, the visions. So if you don't like puking, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed um, that, you know, when people, when a surgeon is taking out, uh, you know, some diseased aspect of the body, they have to cut through the protective layer of the skin in order to get there. Like we you know, our version of what we think is injury versus mm-hmm. harm, we need to be able to discern those things instead of assume that just because it doesn't feel good somehow, that it's yeah. harmful. Well, and that is, that's an awakening within oneself, that, that power of discernment, right? <laughs> like that, to know the difference between the sensation of a closed fist hitting you, or the you know, as the fingers open up, what are the different layers of experience that can be had? It's all still the same hand, but how it's delivered and also how it's received are, are going to determine what the impact is going to be, what the influence is going to be. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it, it can be healing. I mean, I know for myself in the work that I do, I basically because this is the realm that these these athletes work in all the time is they are they are playing that edge of doing harm or being injured and doing something spectacular all the time so as a person working Mm -hmm. with them I work in that realm I am I play right on that edge and you know I call it play because if I see it just as work I'll grind into it a little bit too much or hold back a little bit but because it's play and there's this this exchange and we both become instruments um, in that work it's right on the edge of helping and harming (laughs) it's right on that edge Um, Mm. and and the same applies you know like you say with the with the self-defense is there there is a level of sensitivity to where the person is at, who you are standing face to face with during, during a training environment or during a, like a training session. So yeah, you, mm-hmm. you don't throw your hardest, fanciest punch at somebody first time around or the first time that they step into a class. It's um, that, that helps no one. 
I kind of hope that you do sometimes in like secretly just just for yeah. my entertainment yeah. uh, <laughs> and I hope it's it, never me yeah it's uh <laughs> well there's the throwing your hardest one and then stopping right at right at that moment where you're about to make impact those have happened um <laughs> but but there has to be a, a level of not only trust in oneself, but trust that um, you can respond to the most unpredictable thing. And I mean, that's, mm. to be totally honest, this is an act of great and profound love. Because it takes great love to be able to observe humans in all of their expressions such great sure love does. and commitment and when they do something that may not fit your value system you're still willing and able to watch them unfold in that process it i that it's that unconditional where mm. at, like as a teacher you don't cut off your capacity to deliver because somebody has challenged your moral high ground and that um because as the teacher, they're showing up in my space, in a space that I've set up. And the invitation is for them to show up with what they've got. And, mm. and it is a matter of being able to meet them right at that place. So if that's the point of injury, before they've even thrown a punch or done anything or said anything, but their point of injury actually happened long before they walked into that room, that's, that's where we work from. Do you think that teachers used to have the capacity of being excellent in order to be teachers? Like it used to be this thing that you had to practice and be in such deep practice and self-care. Like, it's like practice is this whole central theme to being a teacher or to being a facilitator. And I also think that people like want to skip that step like crazy nowadays. There's I just... I see that. It's like, do you really think that you're ready to step into the place of facilitator or teacher from where you are? You've been doing that thing like six yeah. months or a There's year? There's a bias towards the performer. Um, and many are under the assumption that they are practicing when they're actually performing. And I, it, it, it does take, it does take time to, to, give the performer a chance to settle because here's the reality. Most are in a state of performance moving through, moving through our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, that's it's perform, perform, perform. So even when, when walking into a room to practice, it takes a while for the performer to settle down <laughs> and take mm. a back seat. Mm. So, and m many aren't patient enough to settle into the realm and the state of practice. Practice is a state. It's a state of being. Mm -hmm. And mm. it, uh, I mean, and I, I, I definitely have to check in with that for myself on, on a regular, on the regular, because my performer blocks the capacity to draw in any new information. Mm. But Say more about so, that. Say more things about that. So uh, just in my own personal experience, um, mm. it, first of all, we have to be able to recognize that when, when, we're, when we're performing. And as, I mean, even as a yoga teacher, I, I see it all the time where 
we're in, we're in practice. That's the context of what we're doing, but the performer is still showing up. And, um, you know, the, the trying really hard and the furrowed brow and the sitting with the absolute perfect posture where that's not a practice. Practice is allowing that, that other thing to come in that actually makes you wobble a little bit that Mm. makes you feel like the ground is not where you thought it was. That's what practice is for. Mm -hmm. So for myself, um, what would be a process for that? Well, even, even when I'm sitting down on, on my mat to practice and write, I'll, I'll be writing as, as a practice and then things will come into my head around what I'm supposed to be delivering and my writing will take on that quality when that thing that is going to be performed at a later time and date, um, that's already very well trained. <laughs> it doesn't, that's not what requires practice. So I have to put that aside. I have to put that idea that that delivery method that concept aside for a while and practice on this thing that I really kind of suck at that I'm not very good at. Do you feel like that's the element that people may be afraid of the vulnerability that comes from saying, I'm not good at that. I suck at that. I I'm terrible Mm. at that thing. My, my feeling is that what I work with people in movement is that somehow there is a capacity or a misunderstanding that the reason I'm asking you to do that thing is because you suck at it um, and, and that you should because that's what your body is telling me where your mm-hmm. weakness is. So I, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel like you suck at that thing because the moment that you feel that, your body yes. will start taking care of it. Um, and And it's you that will take care of it. It's not my exposure like you're not doing it for me or impressing to impress me you're doing it to move into the space of 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 feeling what it is you couldn't feel two minutes ago and um and you get to have it that's yours and you'll never suck at it this bad again no (laughs) yeah it's uh that goodness like that awakening moment like that wobble is it is a vibration that calls to it all the resources that it needs to stabilize itself. That's what the wobble is. Mm. It's the wobble is like that wave wank, that wavelength that's seeking to be observed to bring it into stable form. Mm. I feel like in some ways that our lack of, of tolerance for, let's say tolerance for that wobble or tolerance for weakness uh, or to be appearing weak might be driven or fed by this kind of consumerism that we see in mm. terms of image, like um, Instagram, etc. cetera. Uh, I think I see a few things happening. Some people are also using that platform to show that there's a broader range of what might be acceptable as beautiful or might be acceptable as, as, perfect or 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 good um but i also see that there's this 
obsessiveness around image. So there's never really a good tolerance. It's not, it's not commercial worthy mm -hmm. for people to explore their vulnerability. And, and so my feeling is that people are seeking me out or they're seeking someone like you out. They're seeking out somebody who isn't, hasn't bought into that, that your image matters yeah. to me at all. Like your, your image doesn't mean That's shit right. to me. It, it certainly doesn't. And my, my trust is that your character will emerge when we get past this performative mm -hmm. thing you're doing. And into the place where, oh, my God, you feel like your humanity is being challenged. Your, that your corporealness is being challenged. That your, 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 your emotional body is being stretched. Your, who are you now past this place of image and performance? Mm -hmm. Who are you now? Because the, that is the person who will be able to hold space mm -hmm. for the dying. That is that is the person who can hold space for whatever's going on in the village. And um, I feel like the distraction around perform performance around us is keeping us from actually making the changes that would heal the heal all of us, you know, in the village or in in the planet. I'm not yeah. blaming it on one source. I'm just saying, like, we're so distracted by it. And, and people are so disempowered by it because it's like, if I don't look like that or if I don't perform like that, yeah. then I can't do that thing. And man, you didn't get where you are uh, without years of investment and continued practice. I didn't get to where I am without years of investment and continued practice. The greatest work you and I do 100%. is in our practice. Yeah. So that we can show up in every other realm. Yeah. Right. No. And we're still not done. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be done. <laughs> like you, you so artfully point out places in my own being where I hold weakness. And I, I'm so appreciative of that level of courage it takes for you to face a friend and say, look, you know, this thing that you've got mm. going on ain't serving you. And, and I'm like, wow deep thank yous because I didn't see that in myself and and that your capacity to do that with me has has been um, mm. transformational and, so um, and yeah. the same applies for you towards me and I and the only reason that that's even possible in the fluid way that it happens in the realm of friendship for instance I I would have to say is because of practice I mean, I, obviously I love what I do for work and invite and welcome and, and, and cherish every single person that puts their trust and faith in the, in the work that I do. However, um, the real nourishment, the real gems show up in, in our friendships, in the way that you and I can be having a conversation and this this love and healing surfaces automatically even in the friendship realm and that's that's what seems mm. to be most sustaining um where there is mm. no incoherence between what happens through through work and through what happens in 
daily living. Um, it, I mean, that's, that's the real fire. <laughs> that's where it's in our friendships and even in our, in our families where the, that instrument is really forged. And yeah. 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 Like you're um, kind of sparring with me sometimes um, trusting that I can defend, defend myself because your, your intention is not, is not to harm. Mm. And if injury happens, you trust, you trust that we can work it out. I trust yeah. that we can work well, it out. Yeah, well, and I, I, oddly enough, I had a moment of recognition years ago. I have a dear, dear friend, like one of my best friends in the whole world, um, was going through her second round of breast cancer and having her chemotherapy treatments. And it, it just wreaks havoc on the immune system. And every now and then she would end up having to go into Emerge and, and have some antibiotics and then um, and possibly put on an IV. And this was one of those times. And I would... I would go and see her and um, bring something for her. And, uh, and, she, and she works in the medical field. So had a very specific type of dynamic with, with doctors and with medical professionals for, as a professional herself. And um, so this was one of those times and she was admitted for observation for a couple of days just as a precaution. And while I was there, the, the doc who was on, on call or doing rounds had come by and, and asked her a question. And when she responded, he asked her the question about like, yeah, so tell me what's going on. And I witnessed her shifting into um, more into her professional realm because she'd been a professional in this field for far longer than she had been a cancer patient. So, so that habit is going to come mm. up. And after he left, and this is actually the meat of the story. After the doctor left, I'm like, um, so why didn't you tell him that this is going on and this is going on and this is going on? Because I recognized what had happened and I said those words. Those words were so harmful to her. Those words that I said, why didn't you say that to them? In that moment, my friend, my vulnerable friend did not need somebody delivering a criticism and no matter how much love was behind it, it it was still a criticism it was the edges of that blade were too sharp why didn't you because that for somebody who's in a vulnerable state and context really does matter I could say that to somebody else in so, any other context and it would be just fine um, and there would be an open dialogue but in that moment as the person who was vulnerable and out of a habit of strength showed up more as a professional. Um, and I, I damaged that with my reaction to it. Um, I learned so much from that moment. I, around not just, it's not just reading the room. It is more about feel into the moment and, and pause for a moment and honor that, that friendship and remember the friendship and know why they said those things. <laughs> like it, it's, it's, I'm the one asking mm. the question. I, they're the one who is in a state of vulnerability. I'm going to go and seek that out, whether it's inside the far reaches of my own mind or go and do some research on, 
on how cancer patients respond to different things or uh, listen to somebody else who's a medical professional who has been through a similar thing and how they responded to their own medical treatment. Um, But yeah, uh, even me asking that as a question, and it doesn't matter that there was a question mark at the end, it was a criticism. And to be able to discern that and own it, own the discomfort of having done harm. And uh, I have been, it's not about being careful with my words. It's about understanding the harm that they can do. <laughs> and, uh, mm. but that, that capacity was formed, was forged in the fires of friendship. Mm. That did not happen in a class environment where there's certain agreements that are taking place. This is a real life situation. And mm. we, she and I had since, I mean, this is years ago now, but had, had a conversation about that. And, um, and our friendship was definitely at risk because of me saying those words in that way. But you've worked oh, through it since. Absolutely. Yeah. It is I, I have put a call yeah. out there to the, you know, to creator, to the goddesses, to the, you know, to, uh, to the universe. And it was, it, it wasn't give me the right answer. It was when I'm about to say that thing that seems so right, but there's just a hint of it possibly becoming a weapon, show it to me. Just let me know when I'm about to do mm. that thing. It's up to me to choose which path I walk down. All I'm asking for is that point of recognition. Right. Yeah. All I'm asking for is, you know, that validation of my humanity. Yeah. And hmm, Mm. that is the challenge, isn't it? We like to, we like to make, you know, characters in, in stories as opposed to like humans in living out of, everything that we look at and you know we were talking about spiritual gluttony is a thing that we've both observed you know people who present this idea that they want me to step into the field of guru because their wounds around you know their mother their father that didn't you know didn't look after the part of them that Mm -hmm. bucket didn't get full you know, enough when they were a kid and now they're carrying around, you know, a a half empty bucket and looking for other people to put things into it. And it's, it's like that moment of, of awakening, of, of awakening people to Mm. the fact that I'm a human is, is like, for some people, it's like death happened, you know, like the fact, the fact that I make mistakes. Wow. Like at no point did I ever claim not to, but the the person that I'm I'm working with might sit with the concept that somehow everything mm. I say is gold. I'm like Jesus Murphy. <laughs> like lots of things I say are gold, but like everything everything else you could just take with a grain of salt. I'm not I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, the female version of some kind of llama or some kind of like, you know, figurehead of, of spiritual enlightenment. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily Mm -hmm. even believe in that. Um, I believe in the piece of like, show me where, show me where the, the, you know, that the holiness is not show me where that is not, because I see that no matter how sacred or profane 
we we want to view things that there is holiness in it there's like there's a deepness there's there's spirituality there and um so i don't pretend to to walk in a perfect line i also don't pretend that i'm some level of you know spiritually mm -hmm. enlightened person and and people seem to be terribly disappointed when they come into that realization and i'm like wow geez I'm fairly certain that's on you because I'm, I know like inside of 30 seconds, I probably told a pretty dirty joke. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm pretty sure that's on you. And, and that what I do with that energy, that's on me. Like if I decide to resource it, yeah, mm. that's a bad step. And there are teachers out there that have done that. You know, they, they know they have got, they stand in that projection and they, maybe take it too seriously and they right, start to right. resource it. Yeah. Instead of, instead of like not necessarily correcting it, but showing people where it comes from, actually it's being shown from the holes in them. It's, it's, it's like shining through them from the mm -hmm. holes that are in them. You know, like right. it's not radiance. Right. You know, that's, that's not your radiant light. That's projection. Like there's holes in you. And, you know, then it seems in your viewpoint that it's shining on me, but I'm not, that is, I am not the source of yeah. your light here. You know, the source of light is, is, you know, coming, it's like bleeding through you because there's no ability to consolidate it when you are that, when you are, when you have holes in you. So here's what I'm going to do instead of pretend that your projection works for me is I'm going to help you find out where those holes are yeah. and mend them. And you, well, and that's, that. here's the rub, right? So that's the commitment that you've made. You've made this commitment. There are going to be some serious pitfalls along the way. And interestingly enough, um, just pointing them out to people is often not enough. <laughs> in, in fact, Mm. It, it it inflames that very thing. It inflames all the defensive mechanisms that show up, all the protective mechanisms that that show up when it's when it is pointed out. And um, I, this is where it comes back to that self defense training. Uh, before moving into any other teaching, in a moment like that, um, we as a teacher basically say in our own own way, in our own um, in our own modality again again mm. again mm. again mm. to the point that that sound in our head of again fades into the background and then there has to be some point of personal recognition and the power of one's own discernment wakes up to be able to respond with something other than the old habit, something other than the old defense. Mm. And that right now mm. takes an incredible amount of practice from, from the person who's delivering the teachings, their own personal practice, to be able to withstand the pressure of the boredom and the tediousness of that. Oh, man, so much of it's yeah. tedious. And, too. <laughs> and stand up to the performer.
the desire to perform is sometimes just to make things go away. It's like, see, there's a little, there's a little monkey shit going on over here. Um, because asking me the same question over and over and over again to try to have me reinforce this completely untrue belief that you have about yourself right now, I'm not going to do it. Well, what do I do if la la la? And I'm like, practice. And what do I do if la practice? Mm -hmm. If what do I do if practice? It's not the question, the what do I do if that's, that's the issue. It's the momentum that it has that is stealing you from you. It has so much momentum that anything other than that tone, the I don't know, so I have to ask you, all of that, it has so much momentum that the essence of who that person is doesn't have a chance to show up. Yeah, argues Absolutely, for its own mediocrity. 100%. But now here's the thing, Don, and I, I can say that with you. You can say that with me. The way that you say argues for its own mediocrity. There is so much richness in that statement. There, it's, it is a, there are so many components to it. And even within that statement, it is an entire feast. And within that feast of that statement that you just made, argues for its own mediocrity there are multiple layers and flavors in there multiple in that statement mm. and what will happen is one will try to take to bite that whole thing all at once number one the mouth isn't big enough for it <laughs> um number two mm. the powers of the palate have not been awakened yet so only receives it as this big chunk tries to chew it all up like take it all in and because it doesn't integrate because the palate has it opened um because that doesn't happen it ends up getting regurgitated but delivered as a weapon yes i have seen this <laughs> happens all the time yeah. yes that argues for its own me mediocrity in this context in this conversation between you and i um because our friendship and the amount of time we spent together and our depth of practice has made it so that we can understand the essence of what that is. And we're able to own our mm. own experiences in that. We're able to own our own mediocrity. Mm. We're able to own our own arguments. We're able to own the way that we have mm. argued for our own mediocrity. We're able to own that. And because we own it, we ingest it. And because mm. we ingest it, we integrate it. And because we integrate it, we're able to pr produce and create something different from it. Without mm. that level of practice, that statement gets received as a as blunt force trauma. Mm. Yeah, it does. It almost, the image I'm getting is like blunt force trauma into like a big pillow full of jello. Yeah. Like it just... It's like blunt form of forced trauma that really doesn't offer any resistance back. Like it doesn't really offer any um, rightful right. argument back. And, and so then it gets received and held as mm -hmm. like terribly injurious. And really what it is, is like, you need to yeah. bring something to this. Like you need, if I'm, hitting you this hard with these words, you need to bring mm -hmm. something to this. Mm -hmm. And, 
and uh, me enabling you by trying to mother your hurt feelings all the time, that's not it. Yeah. That's not what needs to happen. I can, I can try and look after and be kind to you, but I can't be your mother and I don't want to be. I've got mm. two of my own. I don't need more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also with friendships, you know, for me, I don't, I don't feel like I need to fill a, a huge circle uh, in order to feel fulfilled um, or to get needs met or to, um, or to feel a sense of, of home or village. Um, and yet, like I have lots of diversity in that circle, which is really great. Um, and for me, I think that if one has a good inner circle that accounts for yeah. a lot of villaging, you know, if you have a really good inner circle, if you don't have a really good inner circle, your outer circle might be full of all kinds of mediocrity that just keeps reflecting it back yeah. at you and enabling it. Like my friends yeah. don't let me do that. My friend, my friends will be like, you know what, that thing you're doing, that's Halloween. Mm. And I'd be like, yes yes it is Mm. I'm seeing that now and uh of course you know possibly be kinder with their words than that (laughs) possibly some of them not that's right yeah some like with my own kids uh I I've been I've always been like you do your capacity you do like I won't take less from you 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 come right to your capacity and I may push you a little harder actually and then you'll tomorrow yeah. your capacity will be different. Um, and you know, and I know, like when you when you have children that have that are neurodivergent uh, or they're neuroatypical, you don't you have to do that because otherwise the world will be like, oh, you you're right. you're problem right. you have problems. <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make you do anything. Yeah, and no, that's, yeah, that's that's just not <laughs> those. That's like the rudest yeah, insult. Yeah. Really. Well, you know, so in so many cases for us, it's like a, well, that's what they say, but we'll see. I don't even know whoever wrote this or yeah. the stats on this or whatever it may be. I don't even know who they are. So they might have a different experience, but this is ours. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, right. yeah, resilience building has been probably been our well, again, this once again fits into the realm of self-defense, right? Like it's, it is about resilience building. And, um, you know, I've, if, if there's anything that I've ever been committed to, that is it. And, and resilience building goes a long way. It, it covers so many different realms so that, um, you know, our kids can't come back to us and say, well, that might've worked at your time, but not in ours. Cause everything's so different. resilience is resilience and if that's what's missing it's like okay that's our starting point and that once again when it comes to the the self-defense realm um I mean I teach it very differently now than I than I used to I I used to be very much just about teaching the techniques if this happens this is what you do if that happens that's what you do um this is what uh somebody setting you up or you know grooming you for an attack looks like you know it's it was very it was very technical and um i switched to very much a self-esteem and self-awareness building program that Mm. that includes some of the well personal storytelling (laughs) 
that I left out completely before because I, I used to double down on how tough I am, you know, back in the day uh, and let that be the only thing that they saw. But showing that I emerged from a place of pain into where I am now was significantly more effective. And quite honestly, that when, mm. that when I made the decision to do that, I had a, it, I mean, you can call it an epiphany, um, but every year, every year I would get some kind of a, a throat issue or whatever it may be. So I was teaching at one of the high schools and this was for over an extended period of time for several days in a row for two weeks in a row, I believe actually. And um, after day two, I developed laryngitis. I, so I had no voice, no voice at all. And um, yeah. so I, I had to cancel the classes the next day with the hope that my voice would come back. And while I was in meditation and in personal practice, a very, very clear message came to me and it said, tell the whole truth or you don't get to speak at all. Mm. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I am not subjecting anybody to my, <laughs> my story. And, and it was just, it was so consistent. Tell the whole truth or you don't get to speak at all. And I'm like, Oh God. Mm. Okay. So that's what I'm doing now. And, and I did. And I could not believe the difference. It was physically easier. The students were significantly more receptive. They, it, we met each other on the common ground of humanity. That's where, that's where we met each other. Mm. And uh, it, it changed the way that I deliver dramatically for, from that point forward. Uh, I love that, Jen. And I love, well, I also love you. And um, I love how you've brought that cyclically around to um, spiral mm. upwards, just in that statement. So um, thank you for joining me today. I am so appreciative of this conversation. <laughs> and I know we'll have more. So many more. And, um, and I feel like this feels like good saturation point for me and for possibly for our listeners I want to leave them just ever so Absolutely. slightly hungry for more. And, um, and I love you so much. We'll talk again real soon. And thank you for joining us today. And did you want to say anything about where people can reach oh, you? Sure. Um, the best place to reach me would be on the Jen Wheaton Yogi coach Facebook page. So it's Jen with one N Wheaton yogi coach and that's on facebook mm. that's the best place to seek me out yeah you've been listening to the witch's diagnostic hosted by dawn dancing otter if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support our work please uh, subscribe via patreon.com uh, the Witch's Diagnostic, and subscribe at the various tiers, $5, $10, or $15 a month. Uh, those at the uh, Premier or VIP tiers will be uh, given the opportunity to have some exclusive content on Patreon. Thank you for tuning in, and thank you for subscribing and supporting our work. <laughs>